The question that we are going to talk about this morning, I think, is a really important question. And the question is, now that we're living in 2016, can rational, reasonable people, I mean like modern day thinking people, can rational, reasonable people really believe in the resurrection? Is that possible? That's the question that I want us to think about this morning, and I want us to think about why is it possible? Is it really possible? I mean, I just want to be honest this morning. Is it possible for rational, reasonable, thinking people in a world where we've had so many scientific advancements and so many medical advancements, and we are so smart, is it reasonable to even think that rational people could believe in something like the resurrection. I'm sure there's some of us in this room this morning that you hear the songs and you heard the verses that I read earlier and you would say to yourself, you know, I understand the story that people believe. And I think that emotional um, feeling people who really want it to be true could convince themselves that this is true. But let's be honest, really rational, reasonable people would not believe uh, such a thing. And so that's the question that I want us to think about. And one of the reasons I want us to think about it is because everything that Jesus says and does, everything that's in the New Testament hinges on the resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, then honestly, we can toss the whole rest of it out. But if it did happen, then it comes as a complete package. Then we need to take the entire thing. Everything that Jesus said or did hinges on the resurrection. Some people like to say uh, that Jesus was a nice guy who taught some nice things. And there's some things that he said, like love your enemies and turn the other cheek, that we could take and apply. But Messiah is going too far. There's a famous philosopher named C.S. Lewis, writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, all of those books. And he says, you know, Jesus doesn't leave that option open to us. He doesn't leave that up. The good teacher option isn't open to us. Jesus said he was going to die. Jesus said he was going to rise again. To make a claim like that and then not follow through means that he was kind of crazy. And really everything that he said, including love your enemies, we would have to treat as suspect. But if he said he was going to die and he really rose from the dead, then we need to believe everything that he said. So the whole thing really hinges on this point of the resurrection. And I know there's a lot of people, there's some of us in this, in this room, there's a lot of us that, um, that have, from time to time, our doubts and our objections. There's many people that have doubts and objections to the resurrection. You can turn on the Discovery Channel, or you can turn on the History Channel, or even last night I noticed that CNN uh, was replaying every episode of a show they had made called Finding Jesus, Faith, Fact, or Forgery. They were replaying all those episodes. You can watch all those episodes, uh, the shows about Jesus. They all kind of end the same way. They get smart people up talking about they're standing in the Middle East and they're talking about all the things that Jesus did and said. They all come to the same conclusion. And that conclusion is people who really need something to hang on to and who are really hopeless and just looking for something to grasp can convince themselves that uh, the things about Jesus in the Bible are true. But scholarly, rational, reasonable people uh, 
come to different conclusions. And so you can watch shows like that, and you can begin to think to yourself, hey, maybe Karl Marx was right, that religion is just an opiate for the masses. It's just something to make us feel better, to try to get us through this life. Or maybe Sigmund Freud was right, that religion is just a crutch that helps weak people get through their days. I mean, a lot of us maybe have followed Jesus for a long time, and still sometimes we think to ourselves, did this really happen? I mean, if I'm a smart-thinking person living in the 21st century, can I really believe that the resurrection is real and true? And I want us to think about that question. Can rational, reasonable people really believe that the resurrection is true? Now, spoiler alert, I think they can. I believe that rational, reasonable people can believe in the literal, re- literal resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I maybe, um, you know, kind of blindly, I count myself among the rational, reasonable people, and I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and I believe that people who are rational and reasonable and thinking people can believe that this is true. And this morning, I just want to share quickly with you four reasons why I think that's true. Four reasons why I think that, why I believe that rational people who think about things can believe that Jesus actually was dead and buried and rose from the dead. And there's actually at the bottom of that connection card a couple of books that I would highly recommend. And if you read those books, you'll probably say to yourself, oh, I see where Pastor Brian got his ideas. Uh, But I would encourage you to read those books. They're good books. The Reason for God by Tim Keller, who's a pastor in Manhattan and an excellent writer. Um, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, who was an atheist, a journalist and an atheist, until he started to investigate Jesus' claims for himself and changed his mind. They're all great books to read. But here's four reasons. Four reasons why I would say rational, reasonable people can believe in the resurrection. Here's the first reason. The first reason has to do with the literal burial of Jesus and the empty tomb. The literal burial of Jesus and the empty tomb. When criminals were crucified in ancient Rome, and if you didn't know, this happened a lot. It was not an unusual occurrence that someone would be crucified on a cross in ancient Rome in the first century. This happened a lot. In fact, they say uh, that during this time period that Jesus lived, 30,000 Jewish men were crucified by Roman executioners. So Jesus is one of 30,000 men, Jewish men, crucified at this time by Roman officials. So this happened quite a bit. And usually what would happen is when criminals were executed on a cross, their bodies would be thrown into a common grave. It would be shallow, There'd be a lot of other bodies there. And so some people have said, that's what happened to Jesus. And the reason that there's not a body to produce is because he was thrown in this common grave and probably the animals were there and they were, they were digging and, and, and things and they uh, you know, got rid of a lot of bodies. And so that's why there's not a body to produce. But I think it's very reasonable to believe that Jesus was actually buried in a tomb not like some common criminal. When historians look to prove something to be true, they look for two sources, at least two written sources, very close to the event. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written very close to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
All four of them tell the exact same story. A man named Joseph of Arimathea, that's what we just sang, that he was buried in Joseph's tomb in that last song. That's not his dad, Joseph. That's Joseph of Arimathea. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, say Joseph of Arimathea came and took Jesus' body and put it in a tomb. And again, in a letter to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says the exact same thing, that Jesus' body was buried in a tomb. So you have not two sources, but you have five sources written very close to the actual event saying the exact same thing. And if you were going to make up a story about someone taking Jesus' body and not allowing him to be buried like a common criminal, but a proper burial in a tomb, if you were going to make up that story, the last person that you would choose is Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was the high Jewish court that had just convinced, just convicted Jesus of blasphemy and were the reason that he was sentenced to be crucified. The early church didn't like the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin definitely didn't like the early church. They hated Jesus. They wanted him gone. If you were going to make up a story to promote the early church, one of the last people that you would choose is a member of the high court that just sentenced Jesus to death. You would choose his disciples, maybe. Or you would choose some of Jesus' family to elevate their status. And so the very fact that it's a member of the Sanhedrin who in multiple accounts is said to bury Jesus in a tomb tells us it's probably true. And in fact, most historians, even if they don't think Jesus was the Messiah, they think he was buried in a tomb. So Jesus was buried in a tomb, but that tomb on Sunday morning was empty. How do we know the tomb was empty? Well, for a couple reasons. The first reason, and I think probably one of the most compelling reasons, is that people like the Sanhedrin and the Romans, they really would have liked to stop the early church. The Romans were controlling the Jewish people. The last thing they needed were tens of thousands of Jewish people and also Gentiles getting excited about something and causing a commotion. The Sanhedrin didn't want it. The Jewish leaders didn't want it because they were in power among the people. And if all the Jewish people began to follow Jesus, it would strip them of their power. And so the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Roman officials, if they wanted to stop the entire movement, they could have done so easily by just showing everybody the body of Jesus in the tomb. They could have gone to the tomb and they could have rolled away the stone. They could have said, hey, everybody, calm down. Calm down. Look, here he is. Here he is. But that never happens. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, at the very end of the book, the Jewish leaders get together to start coming up with a way to slow down the Christians, the people that are claiming Jesus rose from the dead. And the idea that they come up with, you can read about it in Matthew chapter 28, verse 11 through 15. The idea that they come up with is to tell everybody that the guards fell asleep and the disciples stole the body. But you know what that argument means? Is that there's no bodies that they can produce. The body is gone. And they have to come up with a reason to tell people why the body is gone. And so they get together in a a corner and they say to each other, all right, this is what we're going to say to everybody. We're going to say the disciples stole it. Does that sound good? Everyone agrees and they went. But the body was gone. 
The final thing, the final reason why I'm convinced that the tomb was empty is because, and if you remember back to the, to the verses in Mark we read, the people that go and find the tomb, does anyone remember uh, who goes and finds the empty tomb? Someone said it. Mary, right? A group of women go and find the empty tomb. Now here's the deal. We're not going to like this in today's world. Uh, but if you were going to create a story of people finding something and testifying it to be true, the last group of people you would choose in the Jewish culture in the first century would be a group of women. I know it's not like that today. Don't get angry at me, please. But that's just how it was. Women couldn't testify in court. Their word was not good. And so if you were going to fabricate a tale of people going and finding an empty tomb and then going and telling other people. You would not choose a group of women in the first century in the Jewish world. You would have men, the disciples, go and find the empty tomb. And the fact that all four Gospels talk about a group of women going and finding the empty tomb points to the fact that the story is not a legend, but true. So the first reason I would say that you can believe that this is resurrection is true is because Jesus was really buried and the tomb was really empty. But the second reason I would tell you I think you could believe is because of the eyewitnesses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. This is just a few years after Jesus has left the earth. And this is what Paul says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, that's the disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And what Paul is saying is, listen, when Jesus rose from the dead, uh, no one was there to see it happen, but after the fact, he appeared to hundreds of people. Now, this is just a few years after the event actually happened. So here's the danger in what Paul's doing. The people live in close proximity to one another. If Paul is naming names of people who have seen Jesus and talking about 500 people, most of whom are still alive, people could go and they could talk to those people and find out whether or not it was true. They could go and they could say, hey, Paul said that you saw Jesus alive after he was dead. Is that true? And they would say, uh, no, that never happened. Paul said, go talk to these people. And they could. They could go talk to him. And they could say, did you see Jesus rose from the dead? And they would say, yes. Yes, I did. And it's not just the fact that Jesus appeared to Paul and to James and to the apostles. It's also the fact that these men were then willing to go and to give their lives for this story that Jesus rose from the dead. And you might say to me, wait a second. People give their lives for religious beliefs all the time. Even what we see in, in Brussels and other places, I mean, there's people getting caught up in religion and, and they're willing to die for it. But I would say to you this. It's one thing to be convinced by somebody else that something's true and be willing to give up your life. It's another thing to make up the lie yourself and then be willing to give up your life. 
You have the disciples and you have James and you have Paul all saying that they have seen Jesus Christ with their own eyes. And then they're willing to go and they're willing to give their lives and they're willing to die based on that truth. Even Thomas, Thomas who was a disciple that didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead at first, he is willing to go to India and to die and give his life saying that Jesus rose from the dead. If they conspired to make up a lie, at least one of them would have turned around with the knife at their throat or the spear at their chest and said, no, 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 no. We made this whole thing up. If I convince you that something's true and then you go act on it, you may really believe that it's true. But I still know it's a lie. And if it's going to cost me my life, at some point I'm going to admit to it. And chances are one of them would. But one after another, they're willing to die for this fact. And the reason is, is because they actually saw him alive. Think about James. James is Jesus' brother. We read in the gospel that Jesus' whole family wanted nothing to do with him while he was doing his ministry. James doesn't show up at all in the gospels. He's not around. And yet after Jesus dies, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's willing to write a book in the New Testament and give his life for this belief. And think about Paul. Paul's the leader of the Pharisees. Very few people had more power among the Jews than Paul himself. Paul has power. Paul has authority. He is persecuting the Christians and killing them in mass numbers. And all of a sudden, Paul, out of nowhere, gives all that up to be persecuted in the arena, to be persecuted and beat, beaten and tortured, and ultimately to give his life for Jesus Christ. Why would he switch and go from being the man in charge to being the man being chased by lions and whipped and beaten if it wasn't true? So you have Jesus' burial and the empty tomb. You have the eyewitnesses. And the third reason why I think that rational, reasonable people can believe in the resurrection is you have the birth of the early church. And we don't have time to go into all of it this morning, but what happens is almost overnight, you have Jesus who's born into a lower social class, who does his ministry for three years, who's one of 30,000 Jewish men executed at the hand of Rome. And all of a sudden, overnight, out of nowhere, all his disciples believe that he's risen from the dead. And within five weeks, over 10,000 Jewish people are following Jesus Christ and saying that he rose from the dead. 10,000 Jewish people are abandoning everything that their families have known socially and theologically for generations. They're giving it all up on a moment's notice to go and to follow Jesus. After seeing him around for three years, after hearing the rumors, all of a sudden within five weeks of his death and resurrection, 10,000 Jewish people have joined this movement and are following Jesus. And you might say, well, first century people were pretty simple people. I could see how in the first century people would, you know, hear this story and believe that it was true. They didn't have the medical advancements. They didn't have the the minds that we have today. 
But people in the first century didn't believe that people came back from the dead any more than we do. In fact, in Roman thought, this physical world is evil and dirty, and salvation is liberation from it. So why would Roman people start to follow someone unless they actually did come back from the dead into this world? If it was just a legend, a story, that would not be a legend that they would, they would, that they would follow, that they would want to believe. Because in their mind, salvation was getting out of this world, not coming back into it. And in Jewish thought, they were waiting for a resurrection in the last day. For God to come back and restore this world, for someone to be resurrected back into human form in this world was not even in their mindset. The Messiah was going to come back at the end and set everything right, not die like a common criminal and then come back to life into this world. And so for thousands of Jewish people and thousands of Roman people to all of a sudden, in a moment's notice, start to follow him points to the fact that it is True, it takes a long time to change culture. We know that. If you're going to change the way a culture thinks and the way people behave, it takes a long time to do it. And yet here we have, almost overnight, the culture radically changed. And so you have the burial and the empty tomb. You have the eyewitnesses. You have the birth of the early church. But there's a fourth reason. A fourth reason why I think we can believe that the resurrection is true. And that is our experience with the risen Christ today. When I was 16 years old, it was the summer between my sophomore and my junior year. I had sat through a lot of church services in my life and really didn't have interest in anything that was going on. And then that summer, I was sitting in a service in downtown Chicago. And all I can say is, for the first time in my life, I became completely convinced that I was a sinner that needed to be saved, that I had a debt that I couldn't pay on my own, and I experienced for the very first time the real and powerful presence of Jesus Christ. And I don't know how to describe it to you, and I don't know how 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 to put it into words, but if you've experienced yourself, you know what I'm talking about, and all I know is from that moment until today, my life was completely different. And here's what you have to deal with if you're going to deny the reality of the resurrection. You have to deal with the fact that this room is filled with people who have encountered the presence of Jesus Christ today, and it has radically changed their lives. We also have to deal with the fact that for the last 2,000 years, billions of people have encountered Jesus Christ in one way or another, and it has radically impacted and changed their lives. And it doesn't matter what language they speak. It doesn't matter what background they come from. It doesn't matter what religion they were born into. It doesn't matter their socioeconomic class. It doesn't matter whether they are educated or whether they are unlearned. 
all that matters is that billions of people over the last 2,000 years have had the exact same experience around the world of Jesus Christ's presence coming to them, of being impacted by the real and powerful presence of Jesus Christ. And over and over again, people have come to the exact same conclusion that he is alive. The philosopher J.P. Moreland has said that whenever evidence points towards something, it deserves to be experienced. And he says when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the evidence screams for the experiential test. And the evidence that Jesus was buried and the tomb was empty, the evidence with the eyewitnesses, the evidence of culture changing overnight are all good, but, we, but you also have to deal with the fact that since Jesus Christ ri- rose from the dead, billions of people around the world have testified that it is true because they have had experience with him. You know, really, all of us, all of us should want the resurrection to be true. Our culture spends a lot of time trying to end injustice, fight oppression, save the environment, all great things, all the while ignoring the fact that they also believe that once the sun dies, this universe goes with it. So what's the point? If we're just fighting all of these things and trying to preserve things and ultimately it's just going to be over anyway, even if they're good things to be fighting for, it's a pretty hopeless situation. But if the resurrection is true, then there is hope beyond this world. If the resurrection is true, then there is joy beyond this world. If the resurrection is true, then fighting against each injustice and ending oppression and making this world a better place and, and saving the environment, doing all of these things have real purpose and deep meaning because there is life after this world, because there is something greater waiting for us, because Christ has risen from the dead. And if there is resurrection, then we have absolute hope. And so all of us, at some level, should want this to be true. And so here's what I would say to you today. Some of you are in this place today. And you just needed to be reminded. You just needed to be reminded that this is true. And that you're not crazy for believing it. That rational, reasonable people can believe that this is true. Some of us have people close to us. Some people close to us that, that don't yet believe. And I hope this morning this is an encouragement to you. That you can go and that you can share with them the good news that Christ is alive. And some of you here this morning, maybe today's the day that you would give the experiential test. Maybe today's the day that you would look at the evidence and then you would say, all right, God, if the evidence is pointing in that direction, here's the deal. I will, I will open myself up to experiencing your presence, to experiencing your love, to experiencing your work in my life. Maybe that's you this morning, that you would open yourself up for the first time to experiencing the presence of Jesus Christ 
in your life. Because if the resurrection isn't true, then we should throw the whole thing out. But if Christ did rise from the dead, and the evidence points to it being true, if Christ did rise from the dead, then he is absolutely worthy of your belief and of your honor and of your life. I'm going to invite our worship team back this morning to the stage. And as they come, I just invite you to bow your head and close your eyes and pray with me for a moment. And just think about these things. Maybe you're here this morning. And that last group that I was talking about is you. You would say, listen, I get the the evidence. I understand it. It's the experiential part I'm not so sure about. I would encourage you this morning, in your own heart, in your own mind, talk to God. Say, God, if this is true, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then would I experience his presence in my life? Would you come and would you change me? Would you come and would you give me hope? Would you come and would you give me joy? Would you come and would you give me purpose that goes beyond this world? I know that if you honestly and truly pray that prayer, that Christ will meet you in this place. And he will cleanse you and restore you and renew you and give you purpose beyond anything that you could ever have in this earth. And some of us this morning need to take time today and just need to say it again. We have believed strongly in the past, but our faith has wavered. And today is the day that we come back and we say, God, yes, I believe that it is true. I believe that you did rise from the dead. Restore me and renew my faith. God, we thank you for the truth. That it's not a legend, it's not a story. It is fact that your son came to this earth and died on the cross for our sins, but he did not stay in the tomb, that he rose again and gives life meaning and purpose and hope and value that it would not have otherwise. But God, we love you this morning. We worship you this morning. We praise you this morning. We give you glory and we give you honor and pray that your presence would be with us as we close our service today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us and we're going to sing and let's worship our God together.